Welcome everyone to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. Today we're going to talk about something I've been meaning to cover. Actually, this sort of covers two different topics I've been meaning to cover in a single episode, which is pretty cool. But as people know, in the informed consent medical freedom movement, we have a huge community of chiropractors. And chiropractors are not only very supportive of medical freedom, but they're very good sources of education and information around healing the body and keeping the body strong when we're in situations where our immune system is getting weaker. But there is a lot about chiropractors that gets questioned in the mainstream medical community, just like a lot of things to do with alternative healing or holistic healing. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that with someone who has made quite a name for himself on social media, who many of you might follow. And if you don't already, you will want to after this. His name is Dr. Tommy John. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I guess I should do the, the very official. So who are you? How'd you get here? <laughs> what brought you to the space? Who's Tommy John? But, but I'm not, right? <laughs> not going to do it exactly that way. I will sort of lead you in that direction, though, because I don't actually know the answer to this question. And I think many people would like to know you are a chiropractor. And we're going to talk a lot about that, like what I mentioned in the intro there about this stigma and kind of this negative reputation that chiropractors get in the medical community. But before we get into that, can you tell me and everyone else what led you to become a doctor of, how would they say it, chiropractic care? Yeah. So that's an awesome question. And most of the people I went to school with had their story. They had their lives changed by chiropractic. They were suffering from certain ailments and a chiropractor, the way they talked to them, the way they educated them and their families because nobody really heals anybody outside. There's no healing force outside the body. So, but what they did was put those people in positions to heal themselves. And they had this radical remission or this complete turnaround when allopathic model, the, the Western medical model, had counted them out and just wanted to drug them. And they wanted to do what that practitioner had done for them. And it was just this real eye-opening experience. I was maybe one of the only ones in school who had never been checked or adjusted. What I had seen was after 10 years of being in an alternative kind of a black sheep fringe, if you can imagine it, even in the holistic realm of sports rehab, um, we were working with MS, ALS, Parkinson's, developmental disorders, pro athletes. We had a system of rehab that was, I'd never seen anything like it. And I was a professional athlete. I, I was a former professional and college athlete. And so I started pulling back the curtain on just soft tissue injury remedy. And, and then you got into diabetic and then you got into MS. You got into all these things and you started to see that even in the holistic realm, that was slightly being managed from a symptom based, quiet the body down, don't let the body feel kind of approach. And so we utilized chiropractic as a first mode, a first entry into our training and rehab system. And I saw some of the just most miraculous things I'd ever seen in soft tissue healing. And that's on just, just herniated discs, torn hamstrings, grade three rolled ankles, spine fractures, some really crazy stuff that was just, I mean, people were turning this around. I was fascinated by it, but I wanted to know what that practitioner did more for the sake of 
I wanted to cut them out, Melissa. I didn't want our facility full of four or five different people where everyone was kind of saying something different and it was getting confusing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get this degree. And then I've got this skill set that we've already been doing with nutrition and belief and purpose and intention and sleep and, and sun exposure and everything else that all goes into healing. I went to school to get it all in my hands, to put all the tools in my tool belt so that we could keep it all under one roof with one person. Here we go. And so when I went to school, I was one of the only ones who had just gone because I wanted to get the skill sets that this practitioner had done. Not that he was the only one involved in the source of getting a person to heal themselves because there's many aspects and many facets. And so when I was in school, it just made sense to me. It just, and I went back to school at 32 years old. I had had a successful business. I put my house up for rent. There was so much going against me to not get this thing, but it just felt so right. And I'm very intuitively based. And that was one of the big driving forces was I just wanted to start at the nervous system, use my other skill sets, enhance those even more to be able to put people into positions to heal themselves from whatever they were suffering from. And I, I wanted to kind of kind of quality control, where if we had less hands in the cookie jar, the cases would be better. And so that was my goal. And so let's go back to this sports medicine, sports therapy thing, because I find that really interesting. So you said you were an athlete, and you were an athlete on a more elite scale to where you're around other athletes that are doing this on that level. Now, like I've told you before, I used to be a personal trainer, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, which was like a, a unique approach to it. But I'm very interested in this idea of elite athletes and the way that trainers or therapists are handling their bodies is like you mentioned just a little while ago, it's a manage the pain or manage the symptoms approach. And I think that that is happening on obviously a very big level, especially with professional sports, to the detriment of so many of these athletes, of course. But what is the alternative then? to managing the pain, managing the symptoms, what should they be doing? Or what's the other way to handle injuries that they currently have and preventing injuries in the future? It's so amazing you touched upon this because you know you're seeing suicides and you're seeing these crippled athletes at mid-40s, 50s, you know, the fallout. Like, what is the cost? You mm -hmm. were basically entertainment for the nation and it cost you your life. And most of them have, you know, families and, right. and kids. And so when we were exposed to this, the stuff we were seeing and the most extreme, I think, scenario was the NFL. It was football because my brother-in-law played for the Chicago Bears for 16 years. We had all the Chicago Bears coming through our facility for the reason that it works. <laughs> That's the thing. When it's principles and laws of nature, they work, whether you believe in them or not. They're going to be there. So we just had a, to sell the person to just here, give this a shot. And the, the responses were nothing short of miraculous, but then they were like, oh my God, they were addicted to actually feeling good. Now let's, let's go into this. You play on Sunday, you roll your ankle, grade two ankle sprain. You have to do everything possible to get ready in six days. That's not fair for the next game. That's not fair to the body. That's not fair to the forces inside you that are working within that. The body's on its own time frame. And it may totally and completely heal in three months, but you have to somehow trick it out to be able to go back out because you're a gladiator and perform because you're worth $30 million as well. Mm -hmm. So here's the scenario. Here's the scenario. 
Pain, swelling, bleeding, nausea. These are all responses that are appropriate to a healing injury, to a healing response, to a person who has this ailment, cellular damage. So we acknowledge that. We let the athlete feel. So we don't have the manila packets. Our athletes, would they got these little manila packets with narcotic level drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. After games, they would give them these things. Our guys would throw them in the garbage because they'd go home and have this whole approach to going back in, putting them in a healing environment, which was active, by the way, Melissa. It mm-hmm. wasn't passive. There was nothing passive about all this. So our guys had these regiments that they went. Monday morning, they showed up. We were hitting it hard. Three treatments that day, three treatments Tuesday, three treatments Wednesday, three treatments Thursday, usually to start to taper down Friday, Saturday. Now, here's the deal. Are the symptoms still present in these athletes come Friday, Saturday? Of course, because symptoms are healing. There may be radical swelling and radical bruising and some tissue response of redness, pain, the the typical injury response, right? That we look at as being foreign or a nuisance. Well, no, 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 that's healing. But because of the active work they've been doing, they've put themselves in a more resilient position. Resilient meaning be able to adapt to forces on the football field. Forces being a mass of body hitting into you at whatever newtons of force. Which you know, are coming again on Sunday. Coming again on Sunday or Monday. Right. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our athletes still had symptomatic responses because they're still healing and it was appropriate. Now comes Saturday, comes Sunday morning, everybody in the league is going to get a shot of Toradol. Well, they don't do shots anymore because they're illegal, (laughs) but they give them pills of Toradol. You don't feel anything when you take Toradol, by the way. Mm. It also depresses the system so they'd have to slam Red Bull. I mean, think of this. This This was what they were doing. But <laughs> we try to get them to not, you know, but basically we're like, okay, you got to do whatever you got to do on Sunday. This is not healthy. This is not right. because you're not supposed to be playing a sport like this. Right, <laughs> this right, right. Not like a, but okay. So you're kind of selling out for a, a quality of to support a family and do, okay, fine. But when our guys took Toradol or taped their ankles or did whatever, their level of function was so much higher than the alternative person who iced passive uh, response, Mm. soft tissue, passive stuff, drugs like crazy, right? Crazy drugs. And those people would go in not feeling anything, but their level of function wasn't as high. So now keep going. Our guys are going to survive and perform very well on Sunday. And not get re-injured. And not get re-injured. But guess what, Melissa? Come Monday... We keep hitting the right. previous from the, the game before. Right. And then we keep going. Now, now let's put it in perspective of the NFL because the NFL is so radical. Come week 14 or 15, when everybody is injured because mm-hmm. it's just the way football is, mm-hmm. our guys were functioning higher in the world of injury. So it's like we don't say like you're not going to get injured, but your level of function while you're healing is right. so high. That when you actually do get a bit of time, like a bye week or an off season, you actually completely remedy and heal because an injury is always, it's always a leak. It shows you where your leaks are. Mm, where your weaknesses are, right? Exactly. If you do it right, you level up. 
And now you're going into a free agent year. Now it's like, oh, the more instead of that person, like, oh, that person that has the rolled ankles, chronic rolled ankles for life. No, <laughs> if you do it right. This sort of sounds like kind of the ideology between taking personal responsibility for something or living in a state of victimhood all the time, right? Like, oh, I'm just waiting for an injury to happen. It's just going to happen. And that's the luck of the draw. That's Those are the cards that were dealt versus taking that personal accountability saying, I'm going to prep my body to avoid injury as much as possible. And if I am injured, it's going to be a more mild injury because I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to go into this with preparation instead of just wait for it to come and take me down. And that's it. You hit the nail on the head. They actively were involved in the healing process. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Everybody in their family got around behind it. It, it was like a holistic approach at the highest level mm -hmm. that you could sustain and now our guys, and we had girls in professional sports too, they would retire and would just continue their lifestyles afterwards and right. actually weren't crippled. Right. But here's the thing, the physical therapists, because it's just what they teach in the schools, they would get into their heads. Well, I mean, it's a grade two, like you're not going to come back. They would literally get that limited mind belief of you're not going to, it's a grade two, like you can't come back from they would immediately say that. And our guys would be like, okay, I can't have you in my space. Wow. You can't talk to me like that because I'm so protective of where my mind is going because your belief is the leader in healing. Right. And they got it because we hit them as soon as they walked in. We were on them. Yes, you can heal from this. And we're not lying. Right. <laughs> like, like, you know, we're not tricking you out to try to sell you. Right. No, this is what we fully expect. And when everyone looked them dead in the eye and were like with absolute conviction and certainty and they didn't see you waver, they're like, okay, well, yeah, let's go. And they loved doing it because they loved their sport. Believe it or not, there were so many of them that really did love playing. It's just that business I got in the way. And then it became, man, this just isn't fun anymore. But what if it could be fun? You know, what if you could make it a game still? Oh, and you still got paid. And it was actually kind of, something you were actually able to survive and thrive in instead of, man, I'm going to lose my husband possibly at, you know, 52 years old, but my kids college are paid for. We're okay. We're, and I just, that would break my heart because I saw it a lot. You saw it with the drugs and everything else that were coming down the line with these guys as just like show ponies, you know? Right. And, and even before the ending of the life too soon, there's still that quality of life reduction for those oh. 20 years prior. I mean, I, I, a lot of my friends were athletes. Some of my friends were professional mm -hmm. athletes. And you know, what happens when you're done with college sports or you're done with professional sports, it's like, these people don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. And they're, they're physically uncomfortable. Their body is not in a good position to go through life without constant and chronic pain. And oftentimes many of these people that use their size as their advantage in sports, now we're finding themselves not maintaining that and being unhealthy and that extra size was putting pressure on their joints and, you know, their heart and things like that. And so let's say you get out at 30 or 35, you know, to get to 52, you're talking about like 20 years of like right. a really uncomfortable existence where you can't bend down to see your grandkids and you can't do these kinds of things because your body hurts so much from that constant stress. So it, it just makes sense that this idea of active healing and something that a very proactive approach to maintaining the body will allow you to rebound better just across the board, which seems like that should be the focus. And that kind of will be something that we talk about a little bit later. 
But as an athlete, would you say that this kind of gives you sort of like a unique approach and a unique skill set to sort of practicing chiropractic care? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you hit it right on the head because what I did was I observed how the most elite, extreme demographic did it. And I saw some of the results when they were driven with an intention of that sport, getting on and contracting and being that player. What if I took those principles of healing that we did at the highest, highest level, and I just brought it down to my 50-year-old house mom or you know, the 60-year-old who just wants to play golf every weekend and mm-hmm. sail, you know, just the people living or, or the teenage athlete who, or, or anybody. I mean, we had an equestrian, you know, just somebody wanted to ride horses because they were in therapy. They owned like one of those therapy clinics where they do behavioral therapy using animals, right? Mm. So it was just one of those things where I would just tweak it because you couldn't come at them like a pro athlete, but the principles were still there. And then what I started to see, Melissa, it was literally, I treated just everybody coming in who didn't have an injury at all. We prepared and trained and put themselves in positions as if they were injured. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden everyone's doing better. And I'm like, oh my, my gosh, wait, this is the way, Mm. what was I doing as a pro athlete? And in college, I didn't know any of this stuff. And it was really like, I knew it because my, my individual knew it, but I just didn't have the wherewithal, the experience, the clinical experience. And then we pulled back the curtain on, on a lot of like the books and things we were reading weren't on the mainstream because they were very hard to sell. And it went against that symptom-based methodology, but I just applied it to everybody. And then people were just like, okay, this is very difficult, but my life is infinitely better. What else could I do? And you said it there. People don't realize I've gotten quotes where people say, you're talking about my shin splints like they're cancer. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, (laughs) you have damaged tissue. Your immune system is trying to fight and heal that damaged tissue. Now imagine if you've got this everywhere, but you only have so much energy to go to immune function and you do have cancer on your liver or you do have right, a bacterial exactly. load, you know, like yeah. you got to think of that. And your day, 80% of your day is focused on your pain. That doesn't leave a lot for, you know, a spot on the liver or the other disease. healing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People seem to forget about that as it relates to like the gut, for mm-hmm. example, they'll kind of just be mm-hmm. like, Oh, like, what does my stomach have to do with it? It's like, do you understand that if all of that energy has to go toward digestion or healing your stomach or inflammation all the time, then like you said, that leaves less energy for your body to focus on healing the same way that when people don't get enough sleep, same thing. It's like, you're, you're not allowing your body to take the time it needs to heal, which it needs. And the same thing with detoxification of all of these different components in our environment. You know, we talk about vaccines because there's a lot of toxicity there. It's not the only mm-hmm. source of toxicity though. We've got all sorts of other sources, but that's the point. It could be a tipping point. It's all about a certain amount and how much is too much for the body. So you wanna reduce it everywhere you can so that your body can focus on healing and rebalancing. I mean, that just makes sense. But you know, one thing I find really interesting about chiropractors is how yeah. often this reputation exists about them Uh, by some people, that they are quacks, that this is ridiculous, that there is no truth in the medical approach to this type of care or this type of, as a practitioner. 
And I, you know, of course, in the community I'm in, everybody's very supportive because there's this connection to medical freedom and informed consent. But for the average Joe, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. There can be a very negative reputation for chiropractors as if this is just total BS and there is zero science based upon it. And I'm really interested in this because one, yeah. I'm, I keep thinking about, you know, who is behind this? Is this one of those, oh, supplements are dangerous, so therefore take drugs kind of argument? Because when you look at right. chiropractors, this is like, this is an alternative approach. Maybe you don't need to have surgery. Maybe you don't need to take these prescriptions because you can handle it differently. Like who is behind this push for this narrative? Are, are we talking about people that don't want to be out of a job? And so therefore they're going to, you know, talk badly about this other approach or where yeah. is this really even coming from? When you were in chiropractic school, did you already know about this stigma? Were you aware of this as an athlete? Did you kind of think chiropractors were a little like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Like, I'm not sure what that can really do. Cracking the back. You know how people are just like, oh, you, you crack a back. Like, what yeah. does that do? Yeah. Where did you land with your initial belief system on whether or not this was legitimate medical care and that there was legitimate science behind it? And then what do you think this reputation has come from that gives this negative stigma? So I was, that's a brilliant question, by the way. And I was spoiled because my first experience was amazing. Mm. <laughs> you know, like I didn't even, I didn't even think twice. I was just like, okay, what you're doing specifically to a specific adjustment only at a certain time, because our person only adjusted when the person needed it, when they were subluxated to a specific area for a specific case for that person. And I was obsessed with, because I saw the changes down the line once I got them back and I'm like, wait, and I, I was at the muscular level. And then it was at the performance level with some of the moves we were doing and some of the ways we train. And I was like, what, what's going on in that room? What are you doing in the nervous system? Mm -hmm. So I started to observe and I started to see that that's something I wanted to do. Well, now I made the mistake. Here's the mistake I made. My cousin knew that I was going back to school to be a chiropractor at 32. And he's like, Hey, I've, I've got some digestion stuff. I've heard chiropractic works with the nervous system and it could possibly help me. Oh yeah. So I just said, go to an applied kinesiologist who is a chiropractor who practices applied kinesiology. Well, Melissa, if you and I go diving in the phone book randomly and just <laughs> go, that's like going to a restaurant randomly mm -hmm. and you're going to come, you know, and so there is that risk, right? There's the individual Mm -hmm. trying to manipulate the principles. Well, we can't control for that. So my cousin gets hatched, like just hacked, <laughs> got upcharged, got, oh, I, I mean, no. it was like, it was, it was out of control. And I, now I'm, I'm first to call him out too. Right. My dad, my dad, same thing. My dad's like, Oh, I've got some stuff in my spine. I'm like, Oh, go to this guy. He's like, Tom, the guy wanted to. And now I started to be like, wait, are all chiropractors not the same? And I don't know why I even thought that. It was naive yeah. of me to think. It's not like all trainers are the same or all, you know, piano teachers are the same, right? You got to do your due diligence and, and seek out. And I was like, okay, where is this coming from? Now you go into school and their curriculum that teaches you does not prepare you to be a chiropractor at all. And I went to, marched on Washington to try to get the accreditation revoked because I was so upset at the institutions. Hmm. It was symptom-based care. It was insurance-based. 
-hmm. It was all this stuff that I was like, wait, I don't even agree with any of this. All the slides started with tissue damaged and then 98 slides on how to treat it with all these different care plans and ways to, to symptom-based treatments, soft tissue treatments. And I'm like, wait, how do you prevent the first cell from being damaged? Like, like go to the first slide. How do you prevent that? Oh, that's not, we don't teach that here. Mm-hmm. And what they would tell you, what they would tell you. And I went to one of the most vitalistic schools in the nation. The others were medically based, meaning they wanted to get pharmaceuticals and injections in chiropractic schools. Wow. Exactly. So there were three that are vitalistic, Life East, Life West, and Sherman. And I was at Life East. Now, we were told by the president of our school, listen, do not rely on the school to get you ready. There were other professors and doctors that I befriended, and they're like, you're not going to use any of this. You need to get, this is literally just to get your license and a national board certification, and you will use none of this. If you're trying to practice chiropractic, if you're trying to be something else, which is a soft tissue rehab specialist, a symptom-based insurance. It, it literally is just how to generate income from managing pain. Hmm. And this was one of the better schools, Melissa. So now they said, you have to get a parallel education. What does that mean? You have to go into offices during your four years here, and you have to like be mentored. You have to go to offices that you agree with that kind of fit what you're looking to do, whether it's animal chiropractic, pediatric, sports, whatever you want to specialize in, right? And then you start to get into those practices and you start to see, oh, wow, there's all these outside seminars that get into specialties. And the seminars, depending on what you went to, really, really honed in on the principles of chiropractic. And I mean the purity of it, Mm. but the schools did not teach it. And this is in the holistic world. Right. So now I'm like, I'm frustrated and actually kind of upset because my education is very expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. What is this? So I went out and you go and you do your stuff and you develop a business plan and you go and you shadow for three or four years and you graduate ready to run an office as a chiropractor. The others are, it's the same system that's kind of in the allopathic model, where right. they're just trying, you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. They've infiltrated the schools and they've infiltrated all of them. And you can do it. You can protect yourself, but you have to get outside the program. You're literally just in school to get your accreditation and your license, which I'm about to let mine go because I don't want to be a part of it anymore. You just, I can't have my business name be Dr. Tommy John. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I'm literally on the fence of, I might just let it go because I don't want to be a part of it anymore because of what it stands for. But now listen to this. Back when chiropractic was coming in its heyday, in the 40s and 50s, they were really doing research on what it could do and couldn't do. And they had this thing called the Clearview Sanitarium. It was for mental health scenarios. And they, Melissa, they took like, and, and it was just to test and trial, 17 x-rays before an adjustment, 17 x-rays after. They had them in the sun. They had doctors monitoring their doses. They had training. They had dancing. They had all these things. And the people were healing themselves and getting off of from schizophrenia to bipolar to all this stuff called Clearview Sanitarium. Mm-hmm. It was some of the greatest success stories in the history of chiropractic. 
utilizing this specificity of what chiropractic is, which is releasing the force between the brain and the body to allow the body to heal itself. There is mm. a force in the body that allows it to heal. We just take away the inhibitions through the spinal subluxation. That's it. We don't treat low back pain. We don't treat headaches. We don't treat cancer. All you do is connect the brain to body, body to brain, and you let the body do its job. That's chiropractic. So you just make room for the body to be able to do what it needs to do. That's it. And Melissa, think of that. Think of that. How hard is that to sell? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're going to sit there and tell somebody and be like, look, what I'm going to do is not going to make you feel better, but it's going to get you to heal better. And here's what we're going to do. And here's what the importance of the nervous system is. And in addition to an adjustment at a specific moment, at a specific time, at a specific force, you might have to not adjust that person. But in addition to that adjustment, you need to have a belief in something greater, purpose, uh, intention, relationships, sunshine, fresh air, sleep, nourishment, movement, all these other things. But those aren't chiropractic. And so the schools are really where it's at. Now we go back to the very, very beginning of who started this whole chiropractors. I can't speak for those running the practices that are doing a disservice to the purity of the profession. I, mm -hmm. I can't speak for them because there are a lot of them, Melissa, and that most of them will come and visit my office and I will call them out. I call them out every chance I get because I want them to leave the profession and sell paper. I joke like it's Dunder Mifflin, <laughs> Dunder Mifflin's hiring, you know, yeah. like Dwight, Dwight Schrute's at the helm of Dunder Mifflin and they're hiring to sell paper because we don't need you in this anymore. Mm. And they're not in it. They, they maybe got in it for the right reasons, but they're just you know, they're in 200,000 plus debt and they're willing to do whatever they got to do to get out of that. And mm. that might mean, you know what I mean? And I'm like, look, just get out of it, leave because you're making my job harder because I get people coming in. Chiropractors are insane. You guys are. And then I asked them their story. And of course they went through what the schools were trained to get these people to do. But it's almost like a business model, right? Yes, yes. And that is one of the things you have in there. You have a coding class. You have three business classes. But then you have a management. You're not ready from those three classes or that coding class to graduate as a practicing chiropractor. You don't know what you're doing. So then they have these management companies come out and they hit up the schools and they give the school a certain amount of money and they have access to the student body. And for only a hundred thousand dollar more investment, a hundred thousand dollars. This is Jeez. like some of the pure. Exactly, you're gonna come out. We'll take care of your paperwork. We take care of your marketing. Your business name is ours, and you're basically a franchise. And it's those in and out chop shops. Go, and you'll get the one person who has that placebic response of, "Oh my God, I feel so much better. You healed me," and that person's like, "Yep, <laughs> wait." What are you talking about? That that's not even that's not even how it works. You know but we're I mean? in that culture now of everybody wants the quick fix, right? Everybody yes. wants they want a result that they can see at the time mm -hmm. because they don't want to have to necessarily put in the time to see a result. They're not even thinking about the long game. They're not thinking about whether the result will be better at the end of it if they do it this way. I think right. most people I mean, kind of like I have this theory on loyalty, like like most people don't even they don't practice loyalty or don't even really believe in it anymore. Like everybody's replaceable. This happens in work environments. It happens in friendships, mm. happens in relationships. Like it's like there used to be a time and this is totally off topic, but there used to be a time yeah. where 
people would go into careers like they would be a tradesman and they got to know their boss and the boss's wife and the boss knew their family members because every holiday they'd all get together or something like there was an investment in each other, not just the work. And people stayed for long periods of time with companies. They stayed for 20, 30, 40 years. And there was an actual familial connection on some level because of that loyalty. No question they had ups and downs. No questions. There were times that they wanted to leave or maybe were pissed off at their boss, but but they Mm -hmm. stayed and they worked it out. And I think that that is such a good life lesson for how to navigate not just relationships, but conflict in your own life and adversity is that you have to ride the waves. And what I see in today's culture is, you know, just like cancel culture, everything is Mm -hmm. People are just over it the second that there's resistance. The second that there's a problem, they're moving on to the next, like to the next job, to the next employer, to the next friend, to the next relationship. Like you see this pattern that where people lack the ability to actually have loyalty and loyalty requires an investment and not in a financial investment, but an emotional one. Yes. And what's happening, I think, as a culture is people are literally incapable of really investing in other people. And so anything that is not a quick fix or a quick Mm -hmm. response or a quick answer, they almost don't even understand a world where you have to wait for something. I mean, we're at this, you know, everything comes in one to two days shipping, right? Everything comes right now. Everybody wants it right now. And obviously, specifically as it relates to healing and healing of the body, I mean, that's just not how it works. You know, things take a long time to see the result. But if you don't, as a human being, understand that concept, if you cannot see 10 steps ahead and focus on the long game and not just be in your little niche of what is in the short term, then you're not going to really understand how to do what's best for your body or best for your soul, best for all sorts of things, you know, because, because we're missing that. So I can imagine it's probably frustrating in your career or in your line of work to sit there and have people that expect it to be fixed right now. Like I've come three times already, Tommy, how come my injury isn't gone? Or how come I don't feel better right away? Or how come this isn't just already done? Like it's because, you know, it's almost like on a bigger level than just the body, people don't understand how to see things through to fruition. They just don't know how to plant the seeds and wait through the winter until something sprouts. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. And I, I'm coming up just over 20 years of doing this and we are as bad as I've ever seen us now. We've gotten better with what's going on, like this huge waking up of this event going on around us. But March 12th, we were as bad as I've ever seen with that life approach. Mm -hmm. Everything is right now. Everything is Melissa. I went through and I'm like, my business, I could be exploding if I just didn't say that to them in the beginning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? If I didn't, and I could just keep them because there's some people like TJ, I get what you're saying. And I appreciate you coming at me and challenging me, but I do the instantaneous relief so that they stay with me. Then I can get them on the long term. And I'm like, no, because your whole relationship was based on a cheating. Mm. It's like it's like cheating with somebody 
and you're going to have a good relationship after that. Like, it's I don't know many switch. marriages that start yeah. off, you know, exactly. Right. So mm-hmm. I was like, how many times I've sat people when, when you first come into my office, we sit on a couch, two couches at a 90 degree angle. And we have a conversation very comfortably. And most of it, I'm just listening. And then I, after I'm done, I basically say what you just said right there, which is that's a hard truth to swallow. And there are, Melissa, some people that are like, well, thank you very much. We're just not interested. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But you know what? They at least heard it. Yeah. They're gone. They're going to listen. Everybody is smart and connected and intuitive. And they're like, you know what? How That was pretty ballsy of him to lose our business. Like he didn't get our business. He didn't try to sell us. Huh? Some of them do come back. And when they do come back, they're ready but they weren't ready and authentic. But also you're being true to yourself, which is important. Exactly. Yeah, like, I mean, what's the point of doing this? If you can't be who you already are believing the way that you do and you want people to sign up for that. Right. And if you can't be that, and that, and that's not, because that's the passion that sells anything. I'm not a huge fan of sales in any way, but I figure if you are passionate about something, it sells itself because you're trying to educate somebody and you're trying to help them. Mm -hmm. That fire won't be there if you don't really believe in what you're doing. And it's almost better to have a smaller client roster, I'd say, that is on board with the mission and the thing that you're passionate about than it is to have a bigger group of people who you sort of feel like you're faking the funk with so to speak. Right. And I love that you said it's all industries because I've had people in all the industries and they're like, you know, this model that you run your business, it would make a whole lot of other businesses better. (laughs) I'm like, I know we lack that Mm -hmm. exactly what you had said. You had touched upon it. It's like every industry is gone now to what you described in the very beginning. And we're seeing culturally and familiarly, everything, everything is right. all linked together, kind of needing a healing of sorts, you know? And I, you're absolutely right. Like a, a smaller bottom line, a smaller, but your peace of mind and who you yes. are. And these people will give you their homes because they trust you and love integrity. you. Integrity. It's it. integrity. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's honesty and integrity. These are things, loyalty, honesty, integrity. These are things like character mm-hmm. that I swear just do not exist anymore. And it is so sad. They sell their souls so quickly. People turn on people, betray people. Like it happens so quickly that I've never really appreciated more in my life than I do now. These pillars of what used to be the foundation of character, truth, Mm -hmm. honesty, integrity. Like these are things you want to raise your children to understand what this means. You do something right because it's the right thing to do, not because somebody's watching. You know, and we've just turned into like that completely switched version of this. And you can tell this by our entertainment, right? The kinds of things that are succeeding in entertainment that all of our young children are watching. It's just like, wow, you know, we see the lack of these these lessons. And it's not just with kids, but obviously with adults. And, And it has a lot to do with how we internalize the world. And in healing and body work, I mean, gosh, that's just, that's a really hard wall to break through with somebody if they're not there in the mind part, which leads me to my next segment that I wanted to talk to you about that I found really interesting and something you touched on at the Heart of Freedom rally or revival that we went to in San Diego is this idea of a mind 
body connection. And I'm a believer in metaphysics. I've been believing in that for 25 years. I'm a big believer that everything is energy and energy runs throughout all things and that our mind is responsible for the things and the energy that we attract to ourselves and that there Mm -hmm. is power in our thought. And of course, that's actually been scientifically measured on a quantum level. So that's not just a theory anymore. Right. But this idea of a mind-body connection, how does that relate to our physiology? How can our mind, in your opinion, how does our mind play a role in how our body heals, injures itself, the quality of health for our bodies? What do you think about the physiology as it's connected to our mental space? I literally, it's number one, and I'll say this, when I'm done doing my spiel with my new patient intake, does what we just talked about make sense? Yeah. Do you believe what I just said? Well, and I say, here's the thing, the treatment approach that's going to work best is the one you believe in. It could be anything, but it's your belief behind it that you truly feel that this is going to work for you right now because your belief in that process is the trump card, is number one, and here we go. You are literally sending out thoughts that create feelings that affect every single cell you have. There's two things everybody kind of knows, I think they know, the placebo effect. It's the power that the brain has on healing Mm -hmm. through belief. It's so strong, (laughs) they hate it in drug trials (laughs) because it ruins their drug trials. (laughs) They will have a placebo response, ruin a drug, and it's like, wait, they got just as good believing that they were taking Mm -hmm. some medicine than Mm -hmm. they did if they actually, oh, geez. So instead of looking at the power of belief in healing, they eliminate it or curse it and go into some other way to manipulate the drug. Right. So now, but here's the thing. Nobody knows the door swings the other way. What do you mean? The nocebo effect. It's the actual thought that you could think and believe you're sick when you're not. Right. Just like you could say to somebody like, you know, if you stand in that room, it's dusty. You're going to get an allergic response more times than not. It's their minds that will create that Mm. response, even though there's nothing in the air. So it can go both ways. So the power that the mind has on healing is number one on your outcome, on your case outcome. Melissa, our rehab, just in basic soft tissue injury, we had to get a stimulus inside the body greater than the stimulus that caused the injury in the first place. Mm -hmm. Think about this now just on a simple, not nothing from like a divorce or a death in the family, because those are pretty significant injuries emotionally, right? They're, They're traumatic. But let's just take that rolled ankle. There was an emotional response to that. There was a spiritual, intellectual, and mental response to that. The brain is not going to want that to happen again Mm -hmm. because it hurt the system and the survival of the system is number one. It is utmost its protective mechanism. So we have to get through rehab some sort of stimulus greater than that rolled ankle force so that the mind goes, oh, it forgot it like wiped out that PTSD it has of what stepping on the ground will do because there's PTSD with everything. Right. (laughs) And so if we go in and try to break that now their bodies and brains really led by body's going to talk to brain brain's going to go ahead and create the connection out and send out the corrections. If we can break that, 
it's the mind that just superseded their previous level. And that's the most important part and why our stuff was so insane to people. They're like, you know, this is really mentally the toughest thing we've ever done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now we get into the other night. If we can paint a picture for what I did the other night, you were there. I pointed out the power of thoughts and their response on physiology. And you saw me, I said, front row, front two rows of people. We're going to go every other person and you're going to stand up in front of everybody. And for 10 seconds, you're going to dance. They're going to play a random song and you're going to dance. And people's eyes were like, what? And I mean, the room like deftly quiet, you know, freaked out. People were mumbling. And I said, okay, I'm just kidding. But how many of you were nervous about what was about to happen? You know, and a good portion of them raised their hand. How many of you were excited because you wanted to dance? Some of them raised their hand. How many of you have sweaty armpits? How many of you have like hearts beating out of your chest? How many of you are like cotton mouth, fast heart rate? Some are nauseated. Some got, you know, uh, outbreak of sweat. So your physiology changed because of a thought. I just said words. Right. And your physiology totally changed because you internalized that and made it an emotion. You made it a feeling. Well, now we can go when that sympathetic response spikes, your immune drops by design. So those people for a period of time are not healing as well as they were before they heard my, my spiel. Mm-hmm. And then Melissa, you heard me, the people on the other side of the room who weren't a part of it, they were entertained and were laughing. Their feelings were exuberant and joy and content and amusement. They were like immune through the roof was spiking. So think about this. Their thoughts and their feelings were totally, totally controlling their body. And all I did was pitch an idea. So what if we have somebody like a practitioner saying, you can't heal that. Right. Done. Or the TV saying something else. You know, you're not worthy. Or my mom saying to me, I'm worthless. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like these things coming out. All of a sudden now we have to get in and try to break those thoughts that create those feelings, that create those beliefs. It's the toughest thing in the world trying to break somebody's preconceived beliefs around their capacity to heal. That That's really my job. It's not the exercises or the adjustment. I need that person to believe in themselves again. And that's my job. That's what I do as a practitioner. And in all aspects, it should be all of our jobs in health, in my opinion. Because then you're talking about an energetic shift on a cellular level and how that by itself is going to stimulate the body's own innate ability to do what it is designed to do, which is to restore a state of balance. Default. That's like the default program is that. (laughs) that's where everybody thinks that they have to be lucky or fortunate. No, the default is healing. That's what you're feeling. That's so, I get choked up when I think that way, because I just know how amazing we are, you know? And I just, it's really my wish and my purpose is to get other people to realize that as well. And when they do, then they see what else they could have room for, like a relationship or not barking at their kids. Or a job that they're maybe comfortable to leave because they feel confident that they could do something else in their passion. You know what I mean? They can start sculpting their own lives instead of kind of thinking they have to do something. They have to exist. Oh, go here, college, wife, kid, husband, job, house, double house, pay bill, die. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, wait, what? I don't know. 
<laughs> and your, more than that. your version is more like beach, <laughs> meditation, more beach, naked time, sunshine, beach again, Melissa, Facebook Live. It's called, it's called Simplified. I've simplified it. I'd You've... like to say I live like a Spartan. <laughs> you, you, you haven't simplified it. You just replaced it with a whole bunch of other things instead <laughs> that involve a lot of skin. <laughs> Solar panels. Ever since talking to Pete Evans, it was the cells are solar panels. Let the sun hit them. Yeah, but I've well, been kind of chilly. I've been chilly. If it brings you happiness, then it's boosting your immune response and then it's healing you on a cellular. So it's all working for you. But what you're saying is you're talking about people having the power to believe again, yes. to believe in all things, to believe in hope, to believe in life, to believe in happiness. Mm. Like if you can see your body heals, you realize, oh my God, look at what is possible. Hmm. It's just natural for that to shift over, to come back to that like sense of wonderment that you have as a child, thinking you can do and be anything that you lose, you know, somewhere around 28, 29 and even more right, so as, right. as life goes on where you're like, oh, maybe I, maybe things don't work out the way that I thought they were going right, to. Like, right. But as a kid, everything's like, I can be anything and it's all going to work out for me and I'm going to find the perfect person and I'm going to be able to do my perfect job or whatever the things. There is nothing that anybody would tell you that you can't do at a certain stage of your life. You truly believe in all of these yeah. things and then we lose all of that it's not surprising that that starts to show up in our bodies and manifest into our bodies somewhere as this chronic pain or chronic injury but what if that really had more to do like you're saying with maybe some where we're stuck internally on an emotional level on a mental emotional spiritual level that that is actually the block that no matter how many times you do the exercises, no matter how many right. times you stretch and do whatever your Cairo told you to do, that it'll eventually come back again unless there is that other level because how do you work without that other aspect? Like it's not really possible if it's all connected, right? Which is the theory that it's all interconnected. And then with yep. everything going on right now with COVID and this last mm -hmm. year of the pandemic, talking about that mind-body connection, and this is what I'll finish with, how then, when you're talking about emotions, and it's ironic that you brought up the, the thing from the Heart of Freedom, because I was going to bring that up. It's on my list. I was going to bring that up, that, that little experiment that you did. Because for me, as a singer, like I'm very, very familiar with nerves. Like They were debilitating for me for a very long time, like even into really? my adulthood. Oh my God, yes. Like To the point where even watching sports, because I had a lot of friends that were athletes, like I said, I'd watch sure. sports. I get nervous watching it as if it's me. Oh, wow. Like I internalize that. And I oftentimes say to myself, I would have never been a good athlete because I don't perform well under pressure. That pressure makes me freeze instead of making me excel. Like some people excel right. with that right. adrenaline. And for me, I literally just like panic and sort of freeze. And it's ironic that I was a professional singer for so long because I dealt with like terrible nerves like you know how Barbara Streisand like people always knew she hated performing even though she was this very well-known very seasoned musician and, and she hated performing because she had debilitating anxiety and nerves and mine was pretty bad and it would be like a week before it would be the time and I would just be waiting for it to be over so I could take a breath it's like it's just amazing <laughs> how just the thought of but yet I kept signing up for it 
I kept right, signing up for right. it. I mean, I did it as a career. Like I literally signed up for it because there was a type of joy I got from it, but I really hated that other side of it. But when you were describing at the Heart of Freedom thing, you were talking about this experiment and you're saying, but how did you guys feel? It's like, I literally could relate to every one of those different emotions that were <laughs> negative. Cause I'm like, that right. happens to me every time I'd be waiting to be called up to sing. You know, like I'd be waiting there in that feeling of everything, your body just like, it's just totally. amazing what happens just with the thought of the fact that I'm going to have to get up there and, and your body just has all these physiological reactions. Right. And I tried my best to control it, to talk myself out of it and, and kind of find other ways to deal with it. But I wasn't always successful. I mean, I always did okay in the end, like nobody probably sure. ever knew. But that's because I had put in my 10,000 hours and whatever right, to make sure right. I was prepared enough. But but that physiological response was just ugh. like even talking about it, like I, can I, just, <laughs> I get so uncomfortable. And like, I can't watch those competition shows with singing shows and stuff. Like, <laughs> no. I, I feel it like as if it's me that I'm like right. so uncomfortable, like I can't even do it. Just so you brought that up. I wanted to bring that up, too, because I thought that experiment was kind of interesting and just highlighting yeah. the importance of understanding that there is a mind-body connection and then relating that to what's going on with COVID and this pandemic, knowing that good things can bring you good responses, negative things can also bring you negative responses. And what I would say is the absolutely number one worst possible feeling or emotion that you can feel is fear. And I truly believe that fear is the basis of everybody's negative patterns, negative habits, negative belief systems, mm -hmm. all these protection mechanisms that we develop as children to avoid having to go through that pain again, is it's all based on fear. Like the person that's like a jerk to you at work, the per, you know, just all these, you could literally uh, whittle down every single scenario. Right. Somewhere in there, there's fear from somebody. Like, and that's what's leading to it. And we have never seen a time, at least in my lifetime, where we've been surrounded with so much fear as this year. And we get little bits of it here and there because the media has been very fear-based for a long time, right. the way that they right. advertise, so to speak, and get people to tune in. But this year specifically, we have new fears. We have fear of being together, fear of human beings, mm -hmm. fear of children, fear of being around our families, constant fear of just even what is the most basic human need, which is that connection or togetherness. Mm -hmm. So what they've done over this last year is they've created a very deep level of fear. And based on what we were just talking about with the mind-body connection, what do you think happens or is happening or has happened to so much of, I'd say, the, the global population, really, but even in our country, what do you think has happened on that physiological level based on this huge cloud of fear that we're living under? I mean, if we're talking about a state of the world where we would need our immune systems more now than ever to be as intact, as ramped up, as strong, as, as coherent, we would want to be in the least fear-based environment possible so because of the narrative, because of, and you said it, it'd be one thing if I was afraid of my countertop because I had raw chicken on it and there's something that's, there's bacteria on that countertop. 
That's one thing. When I'm afraid of you, right. my relationship with you, or when kids are afraid, when it's a person to person, that is so much deeper. Mm-hmm. I always say, I always say there's physical, chemical, emotional stressors that come in. Emotional are a hundred times stronger than the other two. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't even know that's the, like the last measured, right? And it's like, wait a second, we are talking about a social branding where we're afraid of each other. Oh my gosh. So that is the saddest part. Mm -hmm. It's the most concerning for me. It's the most alarming. And it's the one I'm trying to fight the most where I, there is though the division and this is the the swing. There's me, like you and I connected. I didn't know you before this, but now we have our friendship. We are doing better, Melissa, because we're connecting. I'm connecting with other people. You're connecting with people. So there is a, a part of the population that's completely improving because we're actually not afraid and connecting even more to offset all that. But that is one of the scariest things oh, coming out of this is that I'll tell you right now, my dad, I'm going to share a story. My dad started vomiting in Nashville, Tennessee, lost the use of his legs, peed the bed. And he's not like in super good health and whatever, but he was, his mindset was as good as anybody. That's basically why he's still alive today, to be honest with you. Like, he's just like jovial and happy and he's just like a good dude, right? Mm -hmm. Goes to the hospital. They test him positive for COVID. Well, now they don't treat him. Wait, wait, what? They gave him, you know, albuterol nebulizer, sent him on his way. Wait, did anybody wonder why you're peeing the bed or why your legs aren't working or mm-hmm. why you're, did anybody do a CAT scan? Well, we can't do a CAT scan. You're COVID. Can't do an MRI. You're COVID. Wait, what? The fear that the hospital has in my dad, because they've been told to approach this, these people this way. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a second. His vitals were okay. They send him home. He's getting worse. Now they go back in emergency room. They send him back out because the tests aren't warranted until he tests negative. They're not going to do anything. Finally, finally, one of his doctor friends got him into a place in Palm Springs. They get an MRI. He has a mass on his spine. Is it cancer? I don't know. (laughs) But this whole thing based around this fear that this person is going to be a contagion to the hospital that's now hitting home with our family and i'm like oh my gosh i am seeing it firsthand this man might pass away i have hope that he's not because he's he's very resilient and he's very uh his outlook on life is great and that's something that is strong again we talked about this belief like he's just like Hell, like, yeah, (laughs) life's awesome. Let's rock this. But now we're watching this thing. And did he have some pneumonia type response? Well, yeah, he has a tumor on his spine. He's been in and out of hospitals. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank. He has no. Well, now it's this whole scenario is flipped on the side of its head. And I'm sitting here watching this person who's the least afraid of everybody is the sickest (laughs) because of. You know, and not even sick, but just expressing symptoms right. appropriately. And everyone's just like, what's going on? So that's at the higher end of it in a 70, 70 year old man. Now apply that to a nine or 10 year old kid, you know, or 11 year old kid. Now, all of a sudden you apply that fear of that individual who 
people got into work into those fields of study to help the 77 year old man who just wet the bed and has mm-hmm. no use of his legs. And you know what I mean? Like they really feel for him and want him to do well. And, and they have things that they can do. That's we have emergency care. Great. We have imaging. Great. Well, now you apply that to the 11 or 12 year old on the soccer team. And one of my clients has 12 kids on his soccer team. Eight are left. The other four are so afraid yeah. of the other kids that they can't participate. The kid has chosen not to go. Two of them have OCD yeah. because of washing their hands. Exactly. So now I, I talked to Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan, who's a psychiatrist. I'm like, how would you, well, OCD, you get them, you get the people to basically do the activity or not do the activity that they're obsessed about. Well, the psychiatrist can't tell the kid not to wash his hands because there's fear that mm-hmm. there's this germ on this person. Instead of treating the person, they're treating this whole scenario around the person. So again, it it's web-like across the globe. That is the infection, is the fear that is now, I swear, a majority of what I would say we are experiencing symptomatic-wise, including me. I have symptoms every day because I'm involved in the life that is humans. I'm depressed every day. I'm anxious every day, but I'm also happy and, you know, joyful and, and my purpose is set, but I still go through these feelings sure. because we're, we're all experiencing this stuff. So I being very aware, there's all these other fragments elsewhere that I swear the symptomatology is coming straight out of just, just the fear that we have that healthy people asymptomatic you yeah. know people can get somebody else sick that there's something in the air that's out to get us that i'm trying to protect my elderly that the hospitals are you know everything you hear basically ties to that emotion and the way the body either responds directly or indirectly from you observing is you hit it you hit it on the head is the key element in this entire scenario of what's going on in 2020 is that fear Yeah, I'm very concerned with it because especially with kids to see Mm -hmm. not just a fear of each other, but a fear of people in general, like people are dangerous, people are risky, I could get sick, I could get somebody else sick, I'm going to be responsible for somebody dying, I don't want that to happen. Like, I mean, there are parents literally convincing children, we can't see grandma and grandpa because you wouldn't want them to get sick from you, right? And then them die and something happened and you'd have to, you know, like, I mean, it's just... It's such awful emotional manipulation that's happening here to make people feel very much against their true nature, which is especially during times of stress or uncertainty is to be together. Like we need people more than ever to make us feel better about the fact that the world is completely messed up. And so not only is the world completely messed up, they took away our people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's almost like I remember the beginning of this. Never have we gone through something where you've got this crazy global disaster and you have isolation. It's like Mm. those two things together are a guaranteed, guaranteed disaster for any, you know, any human based on our Mm -hmm. natural, natural need to be connected to others and our need to lean on each other when things are challenging. People are losing their their careers, their jobs, their Mm -hmm. savings, their lives. All of that stuff, how do we get through that usually? We get through that from our support systems, the people around us. Yes. And they literally took it a step further by saying, oh, and by the way, you can't have that. And it's like, we've never navigated 
that kind of disaster without people. I mean, even in times of war, people had their families and friends and everybody, you know, to support them. This is like the first time that I can see anyway that we've had something like this. And so I get so irritated when they say children are resilient, children are adaptable. It's like, no, we don't know Uh, anything about the long-term effects outside of the fact that we know it's going to be negative, but they can't tell you that this is going to be like, okay, for these kids and they'll just bounce right back. How could you, we've never been in this circumstance before. Mm. We've never been isolated. Isolation on its own is very detrimental to the body and to the mind and all of that, but to the spirit. And if you don't have that, like you're saying with your dad having a good outlook on life that keeps you healthier and and kick in a lot longer than the other Mm -hmm. elderly people who give up on life and there's no real reason for them you know to stay alive like it's like our body recognizes those things and i'm really concerned with the level of fear that we're seeing because i just don't know how we come out of this i don't know how we come out of this in a way that makes sense like at some point are they going to say oh it's totally fine to be next to people again I, know. I mean, is everybody going to cringe when somebody sneezes in a public place? You know, like, when does that go away? Because I sort of feel like we've got this hyper focus on if somebody coughs, like, oh, my God, everybody just mm. turns, you know, if you're in a, this public space. Well, people used to cough before, right? I mean, that was like, it's always been happening. So it's like, how do we move forward at this point, accepting that we have the exchange of germs in society, which is normal. And also though, accepting that people die. Right. That you can't save every single life. You can't prevent death. You know, like, have you heard a lot of people during this COVID thing be like, even one life is too many. And I'm thinking like, do you you understand that like (laughs) 8,000 Americans die every day all the time? You just didn't know about it. You just weren't even aware that that was happening. So now that you're hyper aware of the COVID tracker and the death tracker, right. now all of a sudden, all you can think is that's one more person. That's one more person that had, a, you know, had children or had parents. It's like, yeah, that's always happening though. Right. That's always been the case and that will always be the case. Like we sort of need to come to these terms to be okay with the fact that death is happening and, it, and not everybody can survive an illness. Not everybody can survive influenza. Not everybody can survive all sorts of different things. But is our goal to try to, prevent every single one of those deaths or do we try to sort of adjust to the fact that this is the cycle of life and have that perspective on it and then people will tell me oh melissa yeah we'll just wait until it's one of your family members and i'm like but i know but people always were dying (laughs) and they were always somebody's family member like this is not something new it's not unique it just has a different name on it but yeah anyway i mean i know that has nothing to do with what we're talking about exactly but i just i'm so like it's important though i know it just it really frustrates me that that we've lost perspective so not only have we lost the ability or not even known about the ability to understand that mind-body connection which is so important during this time especially as it relates to your immune system being suppressed and more susceptible to illness but just not having perspective on this whole entire thing and the mind playing an important role not having perspective is obviously a very bad thing so tell everybody where they can follow you and get more information about the things that you share you've been very vocal on the covid situation and we didn't get into that yeah. too much today because they'll be able to see that on your social media let everybody know where where they can follow you yeah so my website is drtommyjohn.com drtommyjohn.com and then on that are all my social media outlets um instagram facebook I'm on Telegram, 
which you'll get through my Instagram. I'm starting to shift over to uh, share some things that are a little more freely shareable and less censored. And then I'm revamping my website and, and rebranding and doing some stuff. So stay tuned for that. But again, if anybody has any questions, Melissa just talked about this. Now, we're distancing. We're socially isolated. Reach out to me. I might be one of the only ones because people freak out when I do actually return a DM. They're like, oh, my God, I never thought you'd do this. Like, well, yeah, you reached out, didn't you? <laughs> like, you're a human somewhere else. Like, had a question. You have a concern. I, Wait, I, I sent some... you one like five days ago and you, you haven't responded. It. You stop it right now. <laughs> In fact, it was 10 days ago. So, um... <laughs> um, um, so... <laughs> I need an alias. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I need to pretend I'm one of your biggest fans. Then you'll get back uh, to me. <laughs> yeah, first time, first time DM or big time fan. That's what you have to start off with. <laughs> but reach out because it, it, there may be stuff, a lot of stuff that I don't know. And I will be blunt, but I'll send you to Melissa Floyd or I'll send you to somebody else. I'll send you to people because we're all connected and we're all getting more and more connected. And that has to be more important now than ever. And we do have these avenues to connect to each other. Social media can be a quite toxic, but it can also be very beautiful. <laughs> and so there's things that we can do to kind of become sort of the immune response to what's going on. And part of that is going to be connection and then sharing information because we are our news now. We've got these cameras. We've got this information. We've got we have to share information with each other. and We have to connect with each other now more than ever. So reach out if you ever have any questions or concerns or whatever. And I will get back to you. And if I don't, I'm going to send you back to Melissa. Well, thank you so much for taking time to give me tonight. And hopefully people that are not following you will get to know you and, and get more yeah. familiar with what you share as well. And I, I appreciate what you're doing, Melissa. And I know that I had you on my podcast and everyone, they were all upset because my clip from my podcast with you on it was only like a minute. And everyone's like, yo, I want to listen to, I mean, I got more messages that they were upset that it cut off. And I was like, oh my gosh. But the response from everything you're doing is phenomenal so i love what you're doing and anytime i could be a part of it that's why as soon as you asked to be on this i was absolutely drop of a hat and when you have me back on <laughs> there. planting seeds <laughs> <laughs> see what i did this is great well i appreciate you appreciate this opportunity of course thank you for anybody who is looking to follow more you can follow him at his website drtommyjohn.com where you can access all of his social media so thanks for joining us again, and I will talk with you soon. Okay, thanks.